I think we'll pass over the first readings, but though it is long, I think it's worthwhile to have the gospel. At that time, Jesus, passing by, saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As he said this, he spat on the ground and made a clay of the spittle and anointed the man's eyes with the clay, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back, seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He said, I am the man. They said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. It was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. The Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them. So they said again said to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if any one should confess him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know that, through, oh, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you too want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is a marvel. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could, not, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, 
and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who speaks to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. saving words of the gospel. Now this is quite a day that we have here. Um, firstly, we're making our spiritual pilgrimage to the, war, to the Roman stations. And uh, as such, we gather on a little church along the banks of the Tiber called St. Menas, uh, dedicated to an Egyptian saint. And there was um, quite, a, quite a lot of popularity with things Egyptian in, in Rome. And in the ancient uh, church. And uh, we make our way out of the uh, out of the city to St. Paul's outside the walls. And it was at St. Paul's outside the walls that very special things happened on this day. This day, this Wednesday, the fourth week of Lent, is called In Mediana. And this is a day when the catechumens we're going to undergo many different rites in preparation for baptism. As a matter of fact, the rites that they would undergo are still found in the traditional rite of baptism uh, today in different forms. For example, they would have the placing of salt in their mouths, which we have in the traditional form of baptism. We have the epatha, the opening of the ears and, uh, and the mouth, using, according to the old rite, the priest using his own saliva to do this. There were exorcisms, and they would kneel down, and the sponsors would, would put their hands on their head, and the acolytes and the, and the exorcists performed uh, exorcisms. And, of course, we have all these things in the rites. And it's very interesting that it, in the traditional uh, way of, of baptizing at the vigil, it's possible to do many of these ceremonies, which are part of the regular ceremony of baptism, before the vigil starts, so that you just have them the baptism part then during the vigil itself. And that isn't just to save time, though it does do that. It's also a, it's also a way of recalling ancient times when these things were done uh, before in stages in the in the couple of weeks before uh, the vigil actually came. Now there are some uh, fantastic things that happen um, in this gospel passage, which from time immemorial has been connected uh, to the sacrament of baptism. We know that many of the things the, the things that the Lord did in His earthly ministry. The visible outward signs, dicta and facta and so forth, then are carried over in a mysterious way into the effects of the sacraments that he founded, that he instituted. And today, this is this what happens here is associated with baptism, and there are various reasons why. Um, a couple of details to clear up first. 
Um, in here, there's a particular, there are particular mentions of uh, the Jews and the hostility that they have um, towards uh, the man born blind because of his association uh, with the Lord and their, uh, their hostility towards him. And the word in here used with you know, the Jews is not just a generic, um, uh, a generic word. It, it's more specific in here. In Greek, it's eudaioi. And so it means people from Judea. And Judea is the southern kingdom. But the Lord and his disciples were Galileans. They were from the north. So there's definitely a north-south rift being uh, manifested here. And that's part of the dynamics of, of the dialogue that's going on here. Now, um, another thing, too, um, the relationship between sin and suffering. Is, from the beginning, is asked, you know, the disciples ask, whose sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the Lord says, well, it was neither. But God allowed this so that something great could be worked through him. So God has allowed this man to suffer blindness uh, for eventually for his, his greater glory and his elevation um, through what he experiences uh, with the Lord. And in anticipation of working this miracle, what is it that the Lord does? Well, he does two things first. Firstly, he says, I am the light of the world. And while he was saying that, he spat on the ground and made clay out of dust. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the clay and says, go and wash. And remember, in the mass formularies, if you've been looking at the mass formularies for today, uh, the intro at chant and, the, and, and uh, from, from Isaiah and so forth, all of these prayers, there's washing references all through today's Mass. But what do we have going on here with the spitting on the ground and making clay out of the spittle and the dust? Well, there were, in, at, in the time uh, that we're talking about here, uh, in the first century, um, the different uh, uh, sects, had their different documents and so forth. One of them in the Dead Sea Scrolls. There is a there is a teaching that at the time of creation, uh, when God made Adam, God made him out of the dust, right, to which we will return, and his own spittle. God made the, made the clay from the dust, but he mixed it with spittle. So, not gospel, but God spit, I guess. And this, therefore, him doing, the Lord doing this in front of people, while saying, I am the light of the world, is a manifestation of his divinity. That what he is doing here is he's, like making a new Adam. He's making a new creation. Now, a couple of things about this. First of all, both in the East and the West, baptism is referred to as the sacrament of illumination. 
And the Lord is saying, I am the light of the world. And what does he do in, you know, symbolically with this man in his life who has been in darkness all of his life? He gives him the light. He gives him the gift of sight. And he puts this, this dust, spittle clay on his eyes. And it's a sign that he is a new creation. And this is precisely how we call uh, the newly baptized. They are new creations. So the Lord is, and not only that, he's doing this on the Sabbath, on the day of rest uh, from creation, showing that he's not just like the old Adam and the old creation. This is a new creation in a new pattern. And of course, the blind man, the man who is blind says in here, it's never been heard that anyone opened up the eyes of a man who was born blind. Well, you will remember that the, there's the scene when the disciples of John the Baptist send um, are, are sent like messengers to the Lord to ask, "Are you the one, or are we to wait for another?" And among the things that the Lord says to go back and tell John is that the blind see, and this is a sign that he's not just the Messiah; he's also God. So there are so this passage here. And then, of course, what does the man do? He goes and washes in a pool of water. So this, this gospel passage we have today from John 9 has been read for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries on this same day. Now, for the Novus Ordo, it was taken away from this day. I, th I don't think they do it on this day, this important, historically important day. But they do preserve it. Um, you know, they've got this three-year cycle of Gospels. And in the year um, A, I think they, they have this, I think they have this reading. However, um, even though uh, the other cycles, I think they have another kind of a baptism-themed Gospel of the, the conversation between the Lord and the woman at the well, the Phoenician woman at the well up in the Gentile territories, uh, at the well of Jacob, which has all sorts of uh, amazing nuptial imagery. There is an option given on the fourth Sunday of Lent for this always to be read. I mean, the, the, you can think you choose to read this on all three years of the cycle. So it is being heard, and it is being heard on a Sunday, which is a, a good thing. But that, in a certain sense, um, diminishes the connection uh, with our ancient forebears, um, who did this on this extremely important Wednesday in our Easter preparation, when the catechumens would undergo uh, the various rites that are now so closely integrated into the, into the rite of baptism. There are so many more things to say. The last thing that I will point out, uh, insofar as the catechumens are concerned, you notice that the responses of the man who is born blind have an ascending quality to them. At first, you know, they, talk, they interrogate him, he says, well, I don't know. And then they say, well, he's... And then he says, well, he's a prophet. And then he says, he's a man sent by God. And at the end, he calls him Lord. And he worships him.
So they're just as the catechumens go through stages of being introduced to the sacred mysteries and the teachings of the church so that they come to greater illumination in their hearts and minds, so too this man is on the way to being a new creation in the Lord in stages of realization until finally it culminates in worship. And then... Um, Yeah, the uh, final phrase being, uh, Lord, I believe, credo, that one word, credo, that sounds like the, the magnificent toll of a bell, just like you would hear that after a, a sermon in a mass, you would hear your credo in unum deum liturgically. It's a really quite a, a magnificent um, thing that we have on this day, and I hope that, that perhaps we'll go through and look at the texts of Mass again for today and see how it all connects together. And those little traces of things that are ancient with the multiple readings, the genuflections and so forth, these are these are signs of the, the great antiquity of, of our Roman rite. Dominus obiscum, oremus, benedici de gentes dominum de nostrum, et promaudite vocem navis eus, reposuit animam meam ad vitam, et non dedit conmoveri penes meos, benedictus dominus, qui non amove deprecationem meam, et misericordiam suam amen.